Welcome to Day of Destiny with Dr. Michelle Corral, author, prophetic teacher, and pastor of Breath of the Spirit Prophetic Word Center. Dr. Corral can be seen weekly, nationwide, and around the world on her weekly telecasts that air on God TV, Impact, and Word Network. Now, let's join Dr. Corral by experiencing Day of Destiny, designed with your highest destiny in mind. Now, here is Dr. Corral. There are several act, wonderful, powerful principles in the anointing. One of the most powerful principles in the anointing is that when we learn what spiritual DNA is, then we can really operate in the anointing. Today, we're going to be sp speaking to you about the type of servant that receives spiritual DNA, that is able to uh, receive an anointing that goes on from generation to generation. Right now, what God is doing is God is pouring out on the church generational anointing. Why? Because there's a new generation rising up. There's a new generation, a, a new time has come upon the church. And so therefore, because there is a new time does not mean that everything changes in the sense, maybe outwardly, but not inwardly. I want us to go uh, to second Kings and we are going to see, first of all, in second Kings chapter eight, but we're going to begin in chapter nine for our text. And then we're going to look at chapter eight for a moment. The Bible says, and Elisha, the prophet called one of the children of the prophets. Now I'm going to restructure that because that's King James language. And really the word here for children is Ben. So it really means Elisha, the prophet called one of the sons of the prophets. Okay. Shouldn't be children of the prophets. It should be, the word is Ben and it means um, son in Hebrew. So uh, Elisha, the prophet called one of the sons of the prophets and said unto him, gird up your loins and take this box of oil, a vial of oil and go to Ramoth Gilead. Now, let me just tell you where Ramoth Gilead was. Ramoth Gilead geographically, of course, is near Syria, but where we want to actually look at is not where it's located, it's what it is. Ramoth Gilead was what we would call in biblical times, we all know our Pentagon in the United States of America. The Pentagon is the place where the armed forces are. The Pentagon is the place where our weapon, all of our weapons are. Everyone, um, everything is, is there in the United States for our defense. Well, Ramoth Gilead in biblical times was a place where the wicked king Joram had his, all of his Pentagon, if you will. So what is being told to this young prophet is you're going to have to go into the very den of the place where the enemy has his, all of his cohorts. And the Bible says, hallelujah. And when you come there, look out there, Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, and go in and make him rise up from among his brethren and carry him to an inner chamber and take the box of oil and pour it on his head and say, thus saith the Lord, I have anointed you as king over Israel. Then open the door, flee and tarry not. Now I want to tell, tell you these, 
just the basic shot. When I say shot, I mean just the basic understanding before we get prophetic. So he is sent to the Pentagon, quote unquote, of Ramoth Gilead of Israel. And all of the cohorts there are wicked. Why? Because Joram is the son of, Je of Jezebel and Ahab, the two most wicked in all of Israel's history, basically. And so we are going to see that their son, Joram, Ahab is dead now. He's Jezebel's husband. And Joram is the king. And what Elisha is sending this prophet on is a mission to anoint Jehu, who is the captain. He's not royalty. He's not a descendant of royalty. He is just the captain. And what's actually he's being anointed for is to start a political coup, if you will, that's going to be a, a coup of assassinating all of Joram's family and all of Jezebel's seed that is there. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. amen. All right. So basically, just so you understand what's happening, this is what's happening. And that's why Elisha's saying, when you go there, do it quickly and then open the door. Don't stay five minutes. Just get out of there. Because why? Prophets in biblical times were very recognizable. They, uh, as a matter of fact, when this prophet showed up and he called uh, Jehu and anointed him, one of Jehu's servants called, said, who was that madman? Because prophets oftentimes do a very, very unusual, radical things in the Bible. And so they were referred to here as a madman. Now, I want you to see what's actually happening. First of all, the first prophetic principle I want you to see is that he's going to cause Jehu to rise up. And why is Jehu going to rise up? Because he is going to execute the Lord's judgment against Jezebel and against Ahab. Let us see why. Let us look at what he says when he anoints Jehu. The Bible says in verse six, and he rose up and he went into the house and poured the oil on his head and said unto him, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed you king over the people of the Lord, even over Israel. And you will smite the house of Ahab, your master, that I may avenge the blood of the prophets and all the blood of all the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. And the whole house of Israel of, of Ahab shall perish. Now, the first prophetic principle that I want to show to you before we actually look at this young prophet and see two kinds of servants, all right, is the first, the first thing that we need to see is that this man is going to anoint Jehu to be king over Israel. And I want you to know, none of the kings of Israel ever had the anointing put upon them except Saul, who was the first king of Israel. And then the rest of the kings that were anointed were from the house of David, not the house of Israel. See, in the time of the Bible, in this particular time, there were two kingdoms, but one nation. Say with me, two kingdoms, but one nation. Okay, the northern kingdom is called Israel, and the capital is Samaria. The southern kingdom is called, uh, is Judah or Jerusalem with uh, Judah with the capital uh, uh, of 
in Jerusalem. Do y'all see that? So they have two kingdoms. And so the kings of Israel, when they split from the house of David, none of the kings of Israel ever had the anointing. And no prophet ever anointed, took oil and anointed any kings of Israel. As a matter of fact, all the kings of Israel from the time they split were apostate kings. None of them walked in the ways of God, not one. That's why the Northern Kingdom, when the Assyrians came, were taken captive. And to this day, they are scattered to the ends of the earth. Are you following me? Yes. I'm going somewhere with this, okay? Okay, so why is it there is a prophetic? I'm not telling you this so you know what happened. I'm not telling you this so that you become educated in biblical history. I'm going to give you a spiritual prophetic parallel because I want you to know why is Jehu going to be anointed and he is the king of Israel. He is one, he's going to be anointed to be the king of Israel. Even though he is not in the line of Jeroboam, he is not royalty, he's going to start a coup, and the coup is to assassinate Jezebel, and the coup is to assassinate anything connected to Ahab. Everything in the house of Ahab and Jezebel is going to perish, and that's why God is raising him up. So what's the prophetic agenda here. The prophetic agenda here is that he, since he's the only king besides Saul from the house of Israel that was ever anointed, the text is teaching us that you cannot enter into a battle with Jezebel, nor can you enter into a battle with any satanic power, nor can you enter into any battle with any satanic system or any type of satanic spirit without the anointing, because it is the anointing that breaks the yoke. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. You see, some of us try to go to war against demonic principalities, powers, and spirits. And we ought to know that you cannot even begin to wage war in the spirit without the anointing, because it is the anointing that breaks the yoke. The Bible says in Psalm 89, verse 20, I have found my servant David with my holy oil. I have anointed him. The Bible says, um, the enemy shall not exact upon him, meaning the enemy can't take anything from him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him, meaning that the anointing gives you a resistance. The anointing gives you an immunity. Even though you may go under attack, you'll never go down under the power of the wicked one. I want you to know the anointing is a protection. Go with me to second Samuel chapter one. And in second Samuel chapter one, we're going to look at verse 21 in second Samuel chapter one. The Bible tells us this is David's prophetic lamenting. This is a lamentation, but it is prophetic meaning that David is weeping over the death of Saul and Jonathan. This is his, this is his prophetic psalm of weeping over the battle of the Valley of Gilboa after Saul and Jonathan were slain in the battle. 
And I want you to know what he says in verse 21. The Bible says in 2 Samuel, and we'll go there really quickly, 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 21. We're in the Psalms now, but we're going over to 1 2 Samuel. So quickly turn in your Bible to 2 Samuel 1, 21. And the Bible says in 2 Samuel 1, 21, the Bible says, um, there's, let ye mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew, neither let there be rain upon you, nor fields of offerings, for there the shield of the mighty is cast vilely away. Watch this last line. The shield of Saul, as though he were not anointed with oil. What does that mean? What does that mean? Three things that happen as a result of the loss of the anointing. Number one, there's no dew and no rain, meaning that there is no, there's no sense of revival. There's no sense of freshness without the anointing. Number two, there's no fields of offerings. That means no one has the ability to sacrifice because that is a work of the spirit. It's a property of power to give your life over to the Lord and serve it. No fields of offerings. Watch this. The shield of the mighty is cast vilely away. What does that mean, the shield of the mighty? The shield is protection, isn't it? When you're in war, why does a warrior have a shield? To protect from darts, to protect from spears, to protect from arrows, to protect from the enemy. The shield of the mighty is cast vilely away. The shield of Saul, as though it were not anointed with oil. What does that tell us? That, tell us is, that tells us that the anointing puts an anointed shield over your life. It puts a protection over your life. That shield of the anointing is a shield to protect you from darts. It protects you. It gives you a supernatural immunity against spirits, against attacks, against witchcraft. That means when you are going through a trial and when you are going through a storm, when you are being attacked by the wicked one, when there are forces coming against you, you cannot afford to be out from under the anointing because the anointing is a shield. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. Hallelujah. The shield of the mighty is cast vilely away. The shield of Saul, as though it were not anointed with oil. Look at Isaiah 21 verse 5. In Isaiah 21 verse 5, the Bible says, Arise, ye princes. It says, watch in the watchtower. It says, prepare the table. Watch in the watchtower. Eat and drink. Now watch the last line. Arise, ye princes, and anoint the shield. Did you hear me? I said, anoint the shield. Somebody ought to say, I cannot get out from under the anointing for one moment. I'm going to stay under the anointing. The anointing gives me strength. The anointing gives me victory. The anointing is an immunity against satanic power. The anointing, hallelujah, keeps me safe. The anointing, hallelujah, gives me a divine supernatural immunity 
against the enemy. Hallelujah. I want that anointing. Somebody ought to say Holy Ghost. I want that anointing. Hallelujah. That means we'll pay any price for it. Amen. Hallelujah. Not arise, you princes, and anoint the shield. So now we understand why Jehu is going because nothing can break the yoke of, the, of, of bondage without the anointing. The anointing is that which breaks satanic power. And this is something that we need to know. All right. Now, continuing in the context, looking at 2 Kings chapter 9. This young prophet, notice, this young prophet doesn't have a name. I want you to see this. It says, Elisha the prophet called one of the sons of the prophets and said unto him, gird up your loins and take this box of oil. We have read that. Going down to verse four. Watch how the scripture deliberately doesn't give us his name. Are you with me? Amen. If you are, say amen. amen. The Bible says, so the young man, even the young man, the prophet, went to Ramoth Gilead. The question arises, why is the Bible going out of its way not to tell us his name? Hmm. You know, usually when someone is sent on a mission, the Bible tells us their name. Actually, even some of the most insignificant individuals in the scripture, the scripture tells us their name. Even people, we don't want to know their name. We get genealogies and names are given. Why is the Bible withholding a name from a young man who is going on a very important mission? Do you know how important this mission is? Do you have any idea who this young, what this young man's doing? Do you realize that I want you to, I want you to see something. It's going to raise a question. Okay. I don't want to send us off in outer space somewhere because this question is really, it's mind boggling. Okay. What I'm about to ask you, go with me to, to first go with me to first Kings chapter 19. And I want to show you Elijah's mission, new mission after he challenged the prophets of Baal and brought the strongholds of Jezebel's kingdom down. I want you to see in verse 15 what God tells Elijah. In verse 15 of 1 Kings 19, the Lord said, the Lord said to him, go return Die on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you come, you will anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. Now watch this, and in verse 16. And you will anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, to be the king of Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, will be prophet in your place. Okay, hmm. how can that be when God told Elijah, you will anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, to be king? And the young man is the one who is anointing Jehu, the son of Nimshi, to be king. Hmm, this raises a question, doesn't it? Because why would God tell Elijah, you're going to do it? Does that mean Elijah disobeyed God? No. 
Does that mean that God was just kidding Elijah? No, God is serious whenever he tells us something. Why did God say, you are going to anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, to be the king of Israel? He was very clear about it. And we just read in 2 Kings chapter 9 that Elisha, not Elijah, Elijah's long gone, sent one of the sons of the prophets, an unnamed servant, to go and do this. Because you see, the Bible is showing us spiritual DNA. I hope you're hearing this. I said the Bible is showing us spiritual DNA. That God is saying the anointing was so heavy on Elijah that it passed on to Elisha. And the anointing on Elisha was so strong that it passed on to the young man. And the young man was so yielded, he was so surrendered, he was so obedient, he was so in his place that it is was as if Elijah himself went, although Elijah didn't go. He was Elijah's seed. He was Elijah's fruit. I want you to see something. Hallelujah. That God is saying your fruit, that does the work that you do, it's as if you are doing it also. Are you hearing this, saints? Are you hearing this? Now, I want you to see something about this young man. So the question arises, why is the Bible withheld his name? Is it because the Bible wants us to, to go on a journey and just try to search out scripture and see who he was? No. The Bible has withheld his name on purpose to teach us about the anointing. Because you see, when you're sent on a mission, you don't present yourself. I said, when you're sent on a mission, it's as if you have no identity. When you are sent on a mission, you don't present who you are or what you want or your own agenda or present yourself to be seen. I want you to understand if you really want the anointing like this young man, when you go on a mission, you don't want anyone to be seen but Jesus. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. So we see this young man you know, who is so anointed. He's chosen for such a great mission, but he doesn't present himself. Now I'm going to show you the opposite, okay? Can I show you? This, let me tell you a little secret about this guy, okay? This guy with the unknown name. Did you know something? If you read about the prophet Elisha and Elijah uh, enough, you will be able to realize this young man is actually a replacement. I said he's a replacement for someone that did not fulfill their calling. That's pretty scary, isn't it? Because this mission was so powerful that long before this young man was ever born, God already told Elijah, Are you hearing this? 
This was a mission to bring down the last, the last system of Jezebel and Ahab and clear it, the country of Israel clean, purge it out of those wicked spirits. Who did he replace? A very famous person in the Bible. Go with me to 2 Kings chapter 4, and you will see who he replaced. It's a very sad thing when someone loses an anointing. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8. In 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8, hallelujah. Are you with me, saints? We're still in the career of Elisha. In 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8, the Bible says it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where there was a great woman, and she constrained him to come in and eat bread. And as oft as he passed by, she turned, he turned in thither. Now we know that Elisha developed a very long-term relationship with this woman and her family. And she loved him so much that she extended her house. She asked her husband's permission. Could we keep him here every time he comes? Because this was a woman that just wanted the anointing. Bible says as often as he passed by, she constrained him. You know what that word is in Hebrew? She constrained him. It's the word hazak. She hazaked him. She pulled him in. She, I'm, you're not leaving. You're eating bread in my house. I'm not taking no for an answer. I want my house blessed. I want my, my whole atmosphere blessed. I'm going to take care of you. Just come right on in here. Don't worry about it. Just take your time. And we're going to, um, and she was so excited about having the anointing. She told her husband, let us extend our quarters and let us make for him a table and a bed up on the wall that is often as he passes by, he'll just stay here for a while. Now watch this. And the Bible says, as we look at this, the Bible says, verse 12, and he said to Gehazi, his servant, called the Shunammite, after she'd been there, helped for a long time. He said to Gehazi, his servant. Say Gehazi, his servant. Okay. You know, the name Gehazi, do you know what that means? The name Gehazi in the suffix is the word hazi, which is taken from the Hebrew word jose. Not jose like a name, but jose with the C-H. O-Z-E-H. Jose, which means to see or a prophet who sees. So this man, Gehazi, from being with Elisha, his destiny was to be a prophet who sees. He was being trained with incredible gifts. And if you see in the very beginning of Gehazi's life, the Bible shows us Gehazi, he's so humble. He's so yielded. As a matter of fact, at this time, he asked, he asked Gehazi, go find out about the Shunammite. You see, the Bible's really clear. He just uses Gehazi to be his messenger in that house. So he's very, very modest with that lady. And so he uses Gehazi to be his, to be his emissary and says, what does she need? Find out what she needs. And Gehazi comes back because Elisha's going to pray for her. 
So she gets the desire of her heart for taking care of the anointing. And he comes back and he says, she has no child. So this really shows us that Gehazi is very sensitive. He noticed, she, he didn't even ask her what she wanted because she didn't even say anything. He just noticed it. He said, she has no child. And so he said, call, he had Gehazi call the Shunammite. And so Gehazi called her and she stood at the door and he prophesied to her that next year at this time, you're going to have a child. And she did. And time went on, time went on, and time went on, the child grew. And the Bible tells us that the child died. And this is long after he's older now. And now the Shunammite wants to find Elisha. And she wants to bring him back to raise her son from the dead. And the Bible tells us, I want you to see this. The Bible tells us, notice this. The scripture says, uh, the scripture says uh, that she came to Mount Carmel where Elisha was. And verse 26 says, run now, I pray thee. Um, notice, and the Bible says that, he, that Elisha saw her. So she went, verse 25, and came to the man of God to Mount Carmel. And it came to pass when the man of God saw her afar off, that means Elisha, that he said to Gehazi, his servant, behold, yonder is that Shunammite. Now, I want you to understand, about maybe 10 or 15 years from the humble Gehazi is now another Gehazi. He's not the same man. And the Bible is showing us all of this language. Not so we know what happened. The Bible's going to record dialogue between Gehazi and the Shunammite to show us something about Gehazi. All right. And so here we see that the Shunanite, her heart's breaking. She went there to get Elisha. And he said, find out. Elisha said, find out why is she here? And ask her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, it is well. She was just saying, saying that by faith. And verse 27 says, and when she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to her and what? Thrust her away. What's wrong with this picture? We have humble Gehazi who has now become so puffed up, so filled with spiritual pride and so unsensitive to others that this woman whose heart is breaking, he can't even sense it. And he doesn't even care anyway. Because right now, all Gehazi is interested in is that the Shunammite knows he's in power. He, she, he wants the Shunammite to, to recognize, I'm the one in power. Get out of here. Are you hearing this? He's presenting himself. He's presenting his agenda He's presenting what he wants, and he's misrepresenting the work of God. He's misrepresenting the man of God because he's presenting himself. What do we learn from that? What do we learn when we are trusted with an anointing?
What do we learn when we are around God's people and around the house that is anointed and around a family that is anointed and God entrusts us with an anointing? What do we learn from Gehazi's mistake? Number one, we learn we never mistreat individuals. We learn we don't thrust people away to show our power. We don't talk rude to people. And if we do, we better check ourselves out because guess what? The next level is nothing but a downfall. I'm talking to somebody here because we're training a generation to go forward in the anointing. We have to check ourselves. So we have to see what came out of my mouth today. Was I mean to somebody? Was I cruel to somebody? Did I thrust somebody away? Hello, somebody, are you with me? We do have folks in the church that work in the church and there are instances and I've seen it in the past in this ministry and in many ministries where people who come are encountering their workers and instead of encountering the person because they can't get to the person, of course, there's some reason, maybe something the person is doing. So a person is representing them and because the person wants others to know I'm in charge because the person wants people to know, look who I am. They will use abusing somebody else so that they can establish the fact of their unsanctified neediness to be in control. Are you with me? Okay, that's a dangerous, that's a dangerous, that's a dangerous way to be. And so Elisha doesn't know he did this. Elisha didn't watch him do this. And so by the time he gets to Elisha, Elisha takes his staff and he says, go with the Shunammite and put my staff on the Shunammite. Because all you see with Elijah and Elisha is other people being anointed. Their, their calling is to pass the mantle on. Their calling is to raise up prophets. Their calling is to charge the atmosphere with the anointing. Are you hearing this? Yes. So he sends Gehazi with his staff. Gehazi gets to the woman's son and nothing happens. He's still as dead as all get out so that now they have to call Elisha. Elisha comes and raises him from the dead. So now we see Gehazi who is getting, his evil continues to proliferate. So that very shortly after this, I want you to hear this. Naaman the Syrian comes from Syria, one of the most important men that were in that region and he was a leper. And the reason he's coming to Israel, because the, the Syrians were arch enemies of Israel. And the king of Israel, when he heard that Naaman the Syrian was coming, he's saying, oh my God, he's got a case against us. They're going to try to start a war. And the reason Naaman the Syrian was coming is because a little slave girl from Israel they captured said, my Lord, and she loved Naaman. My Lord, she referred to him as, you don't need to stay in this leprosy. There is a prophet in Israel and you can be healed. 
And so he's going to Israel to be healed. I'm going somewhere with this. He's an idolater. He is one of the most important men in all of Syria. He is Hazel's number one man, King Hazel. He comes to Elisha. And before he gets to Elisha, he brings silver. He brings gold. He brings changes of clothes because he wants to give it to Elisha if he's healed. And when he comes, Elisha says, all right, go wash in the river Jordan seven times. Elisha doesn't even come out of his house. He just says a word of knowledge. He said, just go wash in the river Jordan seven times. And Naaman the Syrian was in a rage. He said, how could he do this to me? He's insulted me. And he marched, started to march back to Syria. But his servant said, look, if he would have told you to do something else, you would have done it. Just wash in the river. And he did, and he became clean. He comes back to Elisha with all these goods, and Elisha wouldn't touch it. Now watch this. Oh, I'm going somewhere with this. Put your hands up and say, I want to be like the servant of Second King. I don't want to be a Gehazi. Say this with me, Holy Ghost. Never let me be like a Gehazi. Never let me take from the anointing. Never let me be so, so unkind to mistreat the people of God or misrepresent ministry or misrepresent who I'm representing. Do not let me be a Gehazi, oh God. Come on, call out to God because God's about to entrust an anointing to this generation. But you can't be trusted with it if you don't know how to handle it. Notice what happens. Hallelujah. The Bible says, beloved saints, uh, uh, he wants to give. He wants to give this, um, all of these things to Elijah, Elisha, but Elisha won't take it. So he departs and goes back to Syria. But Gehazi, verse 20 of 2 Kings chapter 5, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, behold, my master has spared Naaman the Syrian in not receiving at his hands that which he brought. As the Lord liveth, I will run after him and I will take somewhat of him. Do you realize that Gehazi has now serving God for what he can take from the anointing. I said he's serving God for what he can take that doesn't belong to him. He's only serving God to see what he can get out of it. So we see that he's serving God, not because he loves God and not because he's doing this because he's a good servant. He is only there to see what he can get out of it. Are you with me? His whole agenda is, I'm going to go after him. He's crazy. He didn't give him, he didn't take anything. I'm going to take something. Now, I want you to see, why would he even say or think that he could take something? Because he put himself on Elisha's level. 
to think that he was entitled to something that the man of God was going to receive from Naaman the Syrian. He thought it belonged to him. I've got a word for some of God's people. God told me when he gave me this that in 2023 the Gehazis in the body of Christ are going to come down. God told me that in 2023 the Gehazis are going to be exposed. That's what God told me. God said the Gehazis in ministry that are out to just take what they can get. They're not there for any reason to serve God. They're there to present themselves and they're there to get what they can out the anointing. They're there to take another man's reputation, another man's labor, another man's honor, and to take it unto themselves. Are you with me? They're using another man's name. They're using another man's fruit. Are you hearing what I'm saying? God is saying in the past, he has tolerated Gehazis, but God is saying in 2023, the anointing that's coming on the body of Christ is going to be so so pure that all the Gehazis will be purified out. Thank you for joining us today on Day of Destiny. We invite you to our website at mydayofdestiny.com where you can easily access other podcasts and obtain your copy of Dr. Corral's latest book, Secrets of the Anointing. Also, we want to take this moment to invite you to engage in extending your hand of kindness by planting your seed or offering for multitudes that include orphans, providing water wells, providing medical supplies, clinics, feeding programs, and many other services to the suffering church and through efforts of evangelism worldwide. Just go to our website and click the donate button or text to give. Text HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, to 7797. That's HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, to 7797. You are also invited to visit Dr. Michelle Corral Facebook or Instagram. We look forward to having you encounter the anointing with us on our next Day of Destiny podcast.